Hello, welcome to Herman and Jason Spin the Yarn. Today we're going to be talking about forms of power or forms of government, and we're going to try and get into the hypothetical forms of government, like what could we potentially see in the future, what have we seen vestiges of in the past, and what do we think is the ideal form of government or what is the ideal power structure. But before we dig into that, Jason, how you doing? I am good. I'm good. I'm very excited because as you mentioned earlier, we are approaching 20 episodes. So finally, we're going to start getting into the juicy topic. Saving all those for the post 20. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. That's it. I mean, if there's one way to make your podcast crash and burn, it's to have a very controversial topic or talk about things such as politics. Not current governmental parties. We're talking about power structures as a whole. So what is the, maybe if we, before we dive into too much of the details, what is the point of having governance? Why is it such that we have these, these kind of uh, institutions that have some sort of say into the, the direction of a company? So I was reading a book about a year ago called Guns, Germs and Steel. It's a big anthropologic look at human history that's absolutely fascinating. It stipulates that once we moved past a certain number of people, we had to start instituting more concrete rules to live by in order to live in larger groups. So if you're living in a small tribe, everyone knows everyone. So if someone steals someone else's stuff, it's fairly easy to root out who's done that. And there's also a lot of Uh, social control over people misbehaving. You'll generally also have inside of a tribal setting a person who is in charge, chief or just the big man or whatever. But once we move past knowing people individually, we have to start saying things like, you cannot take the thing that does not belong to you because it does not belong to you, or this my land, that your land. And as soon as we get into that, we had to start like laying down some some or other form of governance. Not to mention that, especially when we got into the agrarian age and we started farming, we started having standing militaries and the standing military had to be governed by someone, like someone had to direct them. They were generally used for protection or for taking stuff from the next tribe or whatnot, but it did have to have some or other form of power structure. And I guess all forms of current power structures just evolved out of that as populations grew and as more people who didn't necessarily trust each other started working together. Yeah, so I think if we look at the opposite, which is like anarchy, where you don't have any form of government, even in those kind of situations, you will have groups of people that will come together because at the worst scale of things, if everyone's just fighting everyone and everyone's just trying to steal stuff from everyone, then you're halting progress. So in a sense of like, let's stop fighting and rather focus on building everyone up. So by having some of these rules and guidances put in place that everyone abides by, you can have a common goal towards a better life for everyone, or you can have a common goal that everyone can have enough food to eat or enough housing and those kind of things without having to always be attacking each other and stealing and those kind of things. So I'd imagine that it forms out of in a sense, in the same way as like businesses form, let's rather consolidate this into one entity. Let's find someone to run this entity and this entity is going to act 
as the kind of mediator in all of these situations where it might arise. So in your tribe, he said, if you don't see something happening and two people get into a fight, it's a bit of a he said, she said. So then you need to have some sort of guidance on how you mitigate that issue. That's where you have like a, a judicial process where you say, well, what is the facts on your side? What is the facts on your side? And then there's certain pre-standing laws that have happened in the past, like there's precedents. And you either have some sort of a declaration or you have some sort of uh, document like a charter or an independence document where you all decide, okay, we're all going to agree. And then that's how a government is formed. It's like in South Africa with the constitution and everyone agreed that these are good principles to have for everyone. Things like inalienable rights, everyone kind of agrees to that. And in a sense, you need to have someone who ensures that those rules are uh, abided by. And theoretically, these rules are universal. So if they apply to me, they also apply to you. So I can't steal your stuff. And unless stipulated, you can't steal my stuff. But as we've seen throughout history, people could have different roles in the structure of a company's yeah. political system. So you could have a ruling class or you could have a class of people that is more important, quote unquote, than the lower class of people. And they could take goods or services. People just had different standings within that society. I guess we do still see that in parts of the world today where there are still like nobility. I don't necessarily want to say aristocracies, but there are still aristocracies in the world today, but where you do actually have a ruling class of people and then the rest of the population. I, I think that another note on the development of that is that for most of human history was a very, very casual agreement that was just made by the people or parties in power? So I, I think to a certain extent, maybe before that, there was religion, which was these kind of rules that... And then yeah. as societies evolved, we started actually write, writing stuff down on paper and being like, okay, so this is the law and this is going to apply to everyone as opposed to just someone being like, yeah... I think that that person should hang. Kind of set people in motion saying like, well, if you murder another man uh, or you like steal another person's goat, you will go to hell. And this kind of instilled a sense of obedience within people. And so that's, if you look at Christianity or a lot of the other faiths, it's do unto others as you like to do unto yourself. Those kind of things became the norm and religion almost pushed those people to be more uh, effective in this kind of Group. A lot of Western and Islamic countries did start out as theocracies, which was is ruled by a religious elite, which is actually a form of oligarchy. And what happened with those is that they actually, instead of disappearing and then us realizing we need to create rules and legislation, they were the rules and legislation that then started turning into what it is that we have today, depending on where you are. I mean, like Roman law is still a fundamental part of a lot of democratic systems in the world, which is uh, quite interesting considering it's a couple thousand years old. Quite a few states in, in the Islamic world are still religious states. Exactly. So I think it was uh, the Magna Carta, where it's basically a set of rules that people kind of agree to. And in a sense, you could use that to influence others to join this kind of idea. So you're like, well, we, we do it this way. We have these kind of rules. Other people can, you know, opt in, assuming that they're not too, you know, indoctrinated with their own religion. 
but they can opt into living like we do. And that's how things such as democracy spread, right? So democracy was like, okay, it's not about these rich people just deciding for themselves how things are run. And in certain parts of Russia, there were certain SARS that were chased out because they were just running in, in the sense doing what they want. And the storming of the Bastille with, within France, the revolution there was also around giving power back to the people. And then that kind of was the essence of the, this thing of democracy, of giving the people the power to decide on how they want to be governed. So I think that democracies are really interesting in that there are so many different forms of democracy and also so many different nuances in the kinds of democracy that we have. Pretty much all democratic systems that we currently have in the world are representative democracies where we will elect a representative to vote on our behalf, right? So we're essentially saying, you're my local representative, I entrust my vote to you, and then you make a vote at the, at the country level or at the uh, state level for me. And while that started out as a form of, I'm giving my vote to a person who knows better than me who to vote for, it has turned into, I am giving my vote to a person who is going to vote for the party or the person that I want them to vote for which I think is a bit of a failing on a representative democracy. But that more a practical thing that that happens, because if you look inside any sort of larger organization, there is a form of hierarchy that just develops on its own. There's like this hierarchical system. So this person that you elect, everyone is kind of reporting to that person and they get like a more top-down view of what's actually happening. You as an individual, you didn't know what was happening in the neighborhood over from yours, or you didn't know what was happening around. So you gave your vote to this person, or you entrusted this person, because you couldn't be bothered to go around and ask all these other people. And if you didn't have someone who was knowledgeable in the area, so you just vote for this one person who everyone agrees has policies that align with yours. And then that person, assuming you vote, share the same values, like they will advocate for your group as a whole. But also even within that group, there could be disparities between different people. But like overall, that person should be working in the favor of most of the people in that constituency. What do you think of, let's take, for instance, the Swiss model of a direct democracy where each individual has the ability to directly vote for new laws and be involved in public legislation? So I think it's much more possible to do that now because we have things such as the internet which provide information. So where information gathering couldn't really be done practically before the invention of the internet, they can do that now. So you've seen these petitions online, like lots of people giving their opinion about a specific piece of legislation. There's sites that are starting to do that more on a formal basis. Like you would have these in a government process that's more of a democracy. They do have things like requests for comment from the public, right? But if you don't, if you can't be bothered to attend that event, or there's a typical sort of idea of like they host these requests for comments, you just see the two councillors sitting in an empty room inside of an old school hall or something, and it says request for comment, and no one rocks up. So they just assume everyone's happy with the what's going on. So you need someone to have a voice in those sessions. Doing it with the direct democracy and the data that we have now, 
it's definitely more possible. But I think it does require that you have a certain homogeneity in your, in your population. So if you have a lot of people in your country that all think in the same way and have similar sort of upbringings and sort of more social context, then it makes it easier because it's more likely that everyone's going to agree, right? The problem is if you have, you know, a very multicultural country, such as South Africa, then it becomes a lot harder because you have different sort of values that conflict with each other. And in that sense, maybe rather than having a direct democracy where you have one person, my viewpoint is that it should maybe be broken down. And in the same way we see, you know, cities starting to govern themselves rather than countries, that it should rather break down into a smaller city state or a smaller state that can then govern itself. Switzerland has that to a certain extent is with with Switzerland, the state level has a lot more power than the overarching, I want to say federal level. And so each different state inside of Switzerland actually has a lot of autonomy from the rest of them. And that's actually because there is such a big distinction between different people in Switzerland. I mean, like Switzerland has so many different languages that make up that country as well. If you're towards Germany, they're speaking German. If you work towards France, they're speaking French. Yeah. If you're toward, yeah. So I I do agree with you that the smaller the unit, it just like programming, the smaller the unit is that you have to deal with, the easier it is you can deal with it effectively. And I think it's one of the reasons why the United States is such a dumpster fire politically is because you've got such a huge country full of such diversity of people and and place that trying to govern everyone in a similar way yes you do have statewide legislation but the federal government makes that a very difficult thing to do without making a lot of people unhappy all the time yeah i think there was that case a couple of years i think it was maybe a couple of years ago where belgium was they spent 16 months in deadlock because they couldn't come to a consensus to form a government. So because they have all of these different like political parties and their system is so democratic. So in that sense, direct democracy, I guess, could work because then you kind of have to almost whittle it down. And I think there's a couple of videos online where even when there's like three parties, it generally devolves into two parties over time because you're either voting for the one that you want or the highest opposition. So you get that in South Africa. You either vote for the one party or the strongest opposition because the, the alternatives aren't really going to pay apart, right? So you have like a small party like the Green Party or the one that's involved in like the environment. And that's usually like the ginger kid of the, of the political landscape. Everyone really wants that guy to be in charge or, or not everyone, but people want that person rather than mm -hmm. the first opposition. But because you want to have some sort of change rather than the current system, you always end up voting for the first opposition, which is basically a two-party race. So in some senses, it makes sense to whittle it down to two people and then have a uh, kind of direct democracy vote on those two people. And whether it's, I think, on the state level where they have the voting and there's different weightings, having it direct with something that's more technological. So in the, in the West, we, we tend to really like our democracies and the rest of the world is kind of there in some flavor or another. But there are some examples of countries that are really interesting. So Singapore is 
officially a democracy. But if anyone looks at how Singapore runs currently from outside, they'll definitely call it not a democracy in the fact that the current leader has been in office for way too long and doesn't actually have any competitions. But why I find Singapore interesting compared to other seizures of power by individuals or or parties and essentially turning government into a bit more of an oligarchical or to a certain extent authoritarian rule is with Singapore, it was benevolent in that the focus of the leader became improving Singapore. And they, and he managed to do that. It was like over the past 10, 15 years, Singapore has turned into the highest GDP country in uh, Southeast Asia or in Asia in general. It is clean. It's got a high quality of life. One of the main things that, that was instantiated at first was like, okay, we need to get foreign investments in there. And so they did up the road that goes from the airport into the city and made it look really nice and attractive for foreign investors. So you would land in your plane and you'd be like, oh, this is a really nice nice city. You would like have a bit of like that design profile to it. Whereas compare that to Cape Town, where when you touch down in Cape Town, you get off the plane and then you immediately drive through the worst parts of the Cape area, which is just, it's very representative of Cape Town in that it shows off our extreme poverty. But that isn't very attractive to money coming into South Africa to the first thing that they see is just lots and lots of poverty as they drive along. So I I like the idea of like a benevolent dictator, right? The problem with benevolent dictators is how do you make sure that the person who is in power stays benevolent? Like there's, there's there's an argument to say like the stuff that's happening in China they're doing a lot of movements towards renewable energies and a lot of people are being lifted out of poverty. But it's at the sort of the trade-off is that like if you want to have a house, you have to move and they're going to move you on. They're not going to let you choose to stay where you want to stay. They're going to move you to a new city and you're just going to have to deal with that. But you're out of poverty, but it's not necessarily something that some people like they may be poorer or like they may be on the brink of poverty but the the communities that they form are strong and that kind of motivates them to stay alive (laughs) but you lose some of that sense so on the greater scale it looks good because everyone's like there's not not the same amount of poverty but you're giving up those sort of freedoms that in the west become sort of more important i think also with the singapore it's kind of this if everyone's on the same page and everyone's getting moving in the right direction and everyone's becoming more prosperous i guess like everything is technically a democracy technically it's like in the uk well not so much now but like whenever there's like a, a large conspiracy that that person or minister will immediately resign uh, because they don't want to be like voted out so that democracy kept it in although more recently people have just been like well i, I haven't been like officially removed so they just stay in power so, I mean, that's maybe mm. somewhere where it's trying to, you, you know, fail. If you have a vote of no confidence and you still remain in power, that's where it starts to make it look like democracy is not working. When, in fact, it's probably just democracy, but not being implemented in the correct way. In the democratic world is we do have many examples of, de- of functioning democracies and we do have actually a really good democratic process. There are multiple problems with democracies. And 
I'm curious as to what you think are the major problems with democracies and how you would go about solving them. Oh, the big questions. So one of the problems that with democracy specifically is that you do require that 51% majority to have a consensus. I think you need to have enough people thinking in the same way to be able to get to some consensus. Whereas when you have autocracy or you have someone at the top who kind of just does what they want, they can make those decisions. Like they can say, hey, let's switch to renewables and then let's do it in the next five years. Whereas in democracy, there's going to be people saying, well, I don't agree with that. And my, my vote is that we're going to go against things like climate change agreements or those kind of sort of UN treaties and all of those things that happen. So it's, there's an element of gaining consensus that you need to do. And there's kind of a lot of sort of fighting in a sense, whereas someone just on the top can just make that decision. And it's like a company, right? They like, well, we decided that this is our strategy and we implement that strategy. So I, I, I do agree with you. I just want to interrupt this for a second and ask you, can you hear a parade coming through your headphones? No. Okay. So speaking of the democratic process, and this is, this is uh, completely unintentional, today is the state of the nation in South Africa. The state of the nation is when our president addresses the nation to give us a little bit of a, a info drop on what's been cracking here. And mm -hmm. it, it always comes with a bit of fanfare. We have jets flying over all day. And right now, just coming past the building is this big parade, people hitting drums, blowing on tutors. So I'm glad that that's not feeding into the podcast over here because I'm in a soundproof room, but I can hear it. And it sounds like they're having a blast out there. And then old Cyril is going to come and tell us about what's happening, which is another important part of democracy is a very transparent, well, everything. Everything needs to be transparent because everyone has to have all of the information to make the right decisions. And so a lot of what... Uh, a lot of legislation inside of a democratic system is about making sure people aren't doing anything under the radar. All government officials have to be completely candid about, especially the movement of money. The fact that democracies are really, really ripe for authoritarian rule because it relies on people who are easily swayed by like big man talk. A lot of author authoritarian rulers were elected into office, right? Because they, they're they really good at harnessing emotions and swaying crowds and stuff like that. And then they also get to that point where they can kind of convince people that they should be in charge for a much longer period of time. Yeah. And you can kind of see that happened in the United States with, with Trump. You kind of saw that happening in South Africa with Zuma, like despite Zuma properly breaking the law, there were still people who rioted when he was arrested. So for those who, who aren't aware of South African politics, our president, Jacob Zuma, was convicted at the highest court uh, in the land while he was in office, and he still decided to not step down. And there had to be like a whole process. And eventually, he stepped, stepped down in favor of uh, Cyril Ramaphosa, who is our current uh, president. There's also questions about like stepping down versus being removed because I believe if you get forcibly removed from office, you don't get that sort of salary that continues throughout your life from being a president, which happens in South Africa. But I think the two 
sort of treatments. I'm not, I'm not going to say it's going to treat the cause, but the two treatments for uh, democracy are, first of all, education. Giving people education shows them how to source out the truth like and how to discern and make decisions in if you're edu more educated you're more likely to make decisions that are going to affect you in the long term and you're going to be more uh, thoughtful about those decisions the other one is kind of controversial is to have a good source of news that are independent from government and that is part of the news's job is shine a light on stuff that is affecting society so that people can make an informed decision when they go to that ballot box and say the government wants to do the best for the, well they're doing the best for the people the news is there to like have an opinion but sh give you the facts and the data and then using the education you have you can use those facts and data to make an informed decision about those things but if you remove the news uh, or you silence it or you remove education then you do get these kind of situations where you have people that are just very outgoing or they're very like charming and they can just charm their way or they give you know money and short-term benefits and then people don't necessarily make those long-term correct decisions yeah and that brings me to another issue with democracy is that it self-selects for narcissists people who get to the higher uh, to higher level governmental positions especially public facing positions especially like the president have to be extraordinarily narcissistic to think that they are capable enough to run a country and then also have to be charming enough to convince everyone else that they can run a country which i think is is pretty terrible because some of the people who are the most qualified to lead are certainly not the ones who would get into those kinds of positions of power. But the unfortunate fact of the matter is that the only people who run for them, I'm sure that there are some like people who are, you know, completely altruistic, but it is a, it is a very definite self-selection process that democracy has, which is a, a problem. Yeah. So, so one of the, one of the things that I've kind of been looking into recently about democracy is that people don't necessarily like they Sometimes you don't realize what it's about. It, you, when you submit to democracy, you're saying that you're going to take the side of the majority of the people. So in the company that I work for, we have this thing of like disagree and commit. Like if you, you might not like the outcome, but you've subscribed to democracy. And so you say, hey, this is what the majority wants. So I'm going to go with what the majority wants. And that's how you should dissolve some of these kind of fight this fighting between the two sides i think i think that's in a company it's a lot easier because you willingly went and worked for that company whereas when you're in a country you don't have an option but to be a citizen of that country yeah but so that that is why my earlier statement about dissolving from a higher government to something that's more localized that's that's why I say that, because the only way you can get more consensus is if you go to a smaller scope of people. So my kind of theory is that, uh, and it's completely unproven, is that someone who's more interested in the goings on locally is going to be more aligned to the majority of those people. So as you have more less people to govern, you can kind of have more people who are kind of homogenous in the way that you think. And then you can have more 
streamline thought processes because you, what you think is very similar to what everyone thinks because you all live in the same environment and you all kind of you have the same problems or same challenges when you have someone who's mm. in like one part of the country who's like got challenges that he's experiencing or she's experiencing and then you've got these other people that are in a different part of the country that have completely different experiences it's very hard to make one policy decision that makes everyone happy I think that uh, democracies also just need to have more robust selection mechanisms. So one of the the most common form of electing an official in a democracy is like a first the first past the post uh, election style. So it's like you vote for one vote, like one vote to one person, and this actually has some pretty big implications and issues. Is that firstly directs towards a two party system because you have you you find the team that has the most power that most closely aligns with your views that has the biggest chance of winning because you've only got what got that one vote like in south africa we've got two the two biggest political parties are the anc and the da and the anc has got a big corruption history um, but i don't necessarily like the da and their policies i will say vote for the da not because they most closely align with my opinions or my political views but because they are the only thing that could potentially unsee the day it's kind of like voting independence in the united states it's kind of useless there are a couple of proposed methods to patch this and this has been tried out in some countries to actually pretty good success i can't tell you which ones right now but instead of having one vote is giving a person a number of votes or or allowing a person to rank political parties by order of preference so saying like i choose this party which aligns with me but the da is in there somewhere near the top and then the the vf plus is down there at the bottom with their quite racist ideas yeah. <laughs> so it allows it allows uh these things to be to be better weighted so that outliers don't necessarily win another really good example of this is the republican primaries in the united states in 2016 is that it turns out that most people at least during that time were not necessarily outliers in the way that they voted even inside of the republican party now i don't have the exact numbers over here but let's say for instance there are 10 nominees right nine of those nominees are are moderate with one outlying extremist and in this case there was an outlying extremist and he was slightly orange when people only have one vote what you'll have is let's take for instance that 75% of the voting population were moderate their votes would be diluted between the nine moderates whereas the 25% of the extreme votes would go to the extreme candidate, which means yeah. that even though 75% of the population wants a moderate, the extreme, the extreme yeah. candidate wins. And so that's another issue with that whole one vote, one person system. We've actually figured this out in, in tech reviews, like tech companies, when you're uh, reviewing products, you don't just vote for one product. What you can do is you can leave a zero to five star review. And it turns out that that's actually a very, very accurate gauge, especially if you have a large number of people and none of those reviews are fake or a very small percentage of those reviews are fake. You can get a pretty good barometer on 
the quality of a product. And I think that having like a five-star review for a candidate would be a great way to, to run a democracy. But in a way, that's like a, it's a it's a vote in, in favor or against. Uh, and I think I agree because like having worked in, in a support setting, people either don't vote because or they don't vote or give you a rating because it's fine and they don't have anything to complain about or they vote a one which is because they've had a really bad experience no one ever comes and says well i'll give it a three or four but yeah i think i think given like the bell curve of people i think the majority of people would prefer something in the middle right they don't want things that are rapidly changing one way to the other and in the kind of business sense or in a like personal sense People would prefer small changes uh, that kind of are very similar to how they are. And that's, I think, where the majority do sit. But as you said, yeah, there are mechanisms that kind of avert that and kind of cause one or the other to happen. So I'm going to tell you what my favorite theoretical governmental system is. And this is something that I've slowly been refining over time. And I'm thinking of using in a fiction book that that I'm writing is the concept of a conscripted sovereignty. So the idea for this originally goes back to ancient Athens. And in ancient Athens, there was the idea of a demarchy, which is a variance of government where someone in the state is randomly selected from a very broad pool of people, right? So think of it kind of like jury duty. But in this case, in the sovereignty, it would be it would be a, a little bit of a meritocracy to a certain extent, where you've got the pool is made out of people who are high up in, say, universities or are very good at something. Not necessarily politics, but good at something, right? And very knowledgeable. And so, from this pool, some name is randomly pulled out of a hat, and this person has to serve an eight year an eight year sentence, essentially, as the dictatorial ruler of Hmm. the state, right? And so it it sidesteps the whole democratic process where it self-selects for narcissists because it's a a completely random thing. But it also selects for intelligent people because of the geniocracy or the whatever. And because it's not necessarily a position of personal power, and because it's not something that people were working towards, you don't have the same kinds of corrupt levels that you have in in governments where people are elected into those positions and push their way up the ladder. It's more just like, oh, I've been elected president or I've been elected sov- sovereign. Ah, that sucks. Well, it's kind of like being conscripted into the military. It's just like, go and serve your country. I guess the, the, the problem with that is like, people aren't necessarily going to be passionate about that. I think something similar would be like, even if you just had towards the middle or end of your career, you have to spend two years, a kind of like conscription, two years you have to spend either in local government or in national government. And whatever you decide to do in those two years, you can apply whatever you've learned from your own experience. And it's kind of, it's kind of a bit of like, it's more talking about participation Uh, And not just like standing back and letting it all unfold, having some sort of active participation in the process as an individual, rather than just moaning about it on uh, some social media and then not doing anything about it. I mean, we could go into, maybe in future, we could go into maybe even devolving and dissolving the power so that there's not so much of a burden on that person so that they don't have to make all of these big decisions and you can somehow 
water it down so that most of the decisions are happening elsewhere or autonomously or not even at all. And it's kind of just more about how do you distribute the taxes in a way that's effective to mm, help yeah. And we didn't even touch on taxation, man. What would, what would you tell listeners at home who are living in probably a democracy on how to be more involved in their current system and how to better their, their existing circumstances? I think the, what I would say is almost in a sense, don't, don't get caught up thinking that you're powerless to change things. I think a lot of people just assume that government is in their best interest or local municipalities are thinking in their best interest. Oftentimes, those people are just people too. They don't know what's happening. They, they can't read minds. They've got failings of their own. They don't read the data correctly. They don't realize that there's a certain thing that's happening. I know for a lot of people, they're going to be bored out of their minds. But knowing that you can have a, a voice, at least in your local level, that's going to empower you to take on more responsibilities yeah essentially what you're saying is vote get involved in local politics and take ownership of it and take ownership of it